Hi there. Thank you for joining us on the Redeemer Church Podcast. Here at Redeemer, we exist to see Christ exalted in our church, community, and world. It is our mission to lead people into the presence of God, devotion to His Word, authentic fellowship with others, and discovering their ministry. We hope that this podcast is just one of the ways you connect to God's presence this week. Let's check out this week's message. Well, good morning, Redeemer. Good to be in worship with you today, and a special welcome to everyone joining us online or on demand. We're glad you're with us as well. My name is Leanne Benton, and I'm the worship pastor here at the church, and it's just a joy and a privilege to worship with you every single weekend. I want to start with a couple of questions. If I were to ask you, why do you exist, what would you say? Or what is the purpose of your life? Now, the scripture is, has, talks about this subject quite a bit, the purpose of life, but it's often complex and subtle and pretty obscure. So I'm going to read a number of statements from the Bible this morning to help us uncover this mystery. Somebody asked Jesus how to live a good life, and his response was this, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. When he was telling his disciples how to live, he put it like this, a new command I give to you, love one another. And when he told them how they would be recognized as his followers, like what their signature would be, he put it like this, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. One of those disciples was named John, and he wrote, Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And because John realizes this is a subtle, hard-to-understand point, he says it backwards. Whoever does not love does not know God. And then an unprecedented idea in world thought. Are you ready for this? For God is love. Another disciple, Peter, apparently Peter saw things very differently than John because he wrote stuff like this. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Now, on the other hand, you remember Paul, the apostle, who became a follower of Jesus sometime after the resurrection and after the other disciples. And apparently he did not get the memo because he wrote things like this. Make love your aim, or the goal of our instruction is love, or, and now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. I know this is an incredibly difficult, complicated question. Real good minds disagree over it. A couple of decades ago, a philosopher named Hugh Moorhead wrote 250 of the best-known intellectuals in the world and asked them this question, what is the meaning of life? And he published the answers in a book. And some of them said they just made up an answer out of thin air. Others said they had absolutely no idea. Several of the most brilliant minds in the world asked him to write him back if he found out the answer was... However, based on this statement in the New Testament, do everything in love, if you had to give the Bible's answer to what is the meaning of life in one single word, out loud, all together, with some passion for the brilliance of the answer, what would that one word be? Thank you. Yes, you can talk back to me this morning. I really like that. Um, Love. Everything is about love. The whole Bible is actually about love. 
Life is about love. Our church is about love. Existence is about love. Spiritual maturity should be measured by love. The gauge of a life well-lived is love. Even the Beatles got this one right. All you need is... Exactly. (laughs) This third week in Advent is all about the original good news report of love. And from Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, we find some of the most influential words about love written in human history. And the context of this chapter is really important as we look at what was written 2,000 years ago that's still true for us today, how we think about love and how we practice it. In 1 Corinthians 13, it's often called the love chapter. It has been read at more weddings probably than any other words. In fact, if you got married and you had 1 Corinthians 13 read at your, at your wedding, raise your hand if you remember. <laughs> so here's the context of this love chapter. Corinth, the church, is an absolute mess And maybe that's why they got two letters, not just one. Um, When you read chapter 12, it's all about conflict and people showing off and arrogance and unresolved fighting in the church and quarreling. And then when you read chapter 14, it's about precisely the same stuff. It's just a mess. But in the middle is chapter 13. Now, I don't think Paul was saying, thinking in his mind, you know, I really should write something that can be used at wedding ceremonies in Tulsa, Oklahoma someday. So I'm going to wedge this in right here. No, this is not a wedding passage at all. In fact, probably nobody needs these words less than a couple getting married on their wedding day. This was written to messy, difficult people who were surrounded by messy, difficult people. And it created a messy, difficult, chaotic, unpleasant church. So Paul writes these amazing words. And now I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains... But have not love, I am nothing. And if I give all that I possess to the poor and give over my body to the flames, but do not have love, I gain nothing. So it doesn't matter how much I know. It doesn't matter how much I have. In other words, I can have everything, do everything, know everything, win everything. But without love, it is nothing. Everything minus love equals nothing. My daughter just turned 11 and has settled into the fifth grade. And a while back, there was this game show called, Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader? Does anybody remember the show? It did exist. Um, They would put a fifth grader up against an adult and ask questions, and the kid would usually get the answers right. And as I'm working through Bella's homework this year with her, I'm thinking to myself, did I ever learn this? I mean, I have a higher education degree, and I don't understand this new math And that's definitely not the way that I learned it back in the day. And I'm not going to give you a date for the day for me. Um, Paul is bringing us back to the basics. An equation, it's not new math. It's actually ancient, biblical, eternal equation that doesn't change. Paul is saying in this chapter, everything minus love equals nothing. It's simple, basic God math. Even a fifth grader could get this one right. 
And as we get older, we tend to complicate the equations. We forget the basics, the fundamentals, the foundational principles of what a life well-lived can be. And Paul goes on in this chapter to give love its greatest description. It's full of powerful ideas about love. But ironically, love does not paint the story that we always want. It's not the Hallmark movie with a romantic, sentimental ending. That's not what I'm talking about. The Bible tells us that we are in the middle of a story where love one day will redeem suffering, even death. And what is at the heart of this story is God coming to this earth as a baby, a gift of love in human flesh. And this is what Christmas is really all about. The most famous verse in the most famous book ever written says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. So from the cradle to the cross, we have love extended to each of us. Now, complete self-disclosure this morning. I am really not a great nurturer. Um, We take these assessments as a staff every year, and the latest and greatest one highlighted that I am a pioneer. I always am planning for the future. I have a vision for everything, high-capacity leader, and I felt really good about myself after reading through the summary statements of what this leadership style was like. And then I read the downsides and realized how much lower I actually scored in the nurturing category. What's a nurturer, you may ask? Well, they're instinctively good at giving compliments, not me. Um, They live really deeply into relational moments, not me. So it's a bit ironic that I'm the one giving this good news message on love. It's a stretch, and the sermon is for me most of all. Now, luckily, I am surrounded by some great nurturers, like Allison, like Adam, like my friend Camille that was in the earlier service, and they're all nudging me to grow in this area of loving people really well. And Adam even encouraged us to write notes of gratitude to people that we work with and in our offices, and we all did that as a staff. And then in November, um, our superintendent Garth came and was giving the devotional, and at the end of his encouraging words, Adam got up and stood by him and asked each of us to say a prayer over him, starting with a familiar phrase from Ephesians, which we had just finished that series, I pray that you, dot, dot, dot. And we filled in the blank. So we did this prayer exercise with eyes wide open, looking him in the eye as we prayed. I know, so sacrilegious, right? But there's something that happened When we prayed, being really intentional about every word that was spoken, there was a different kind of exchange that happened, and I became a little bit more of a nurturer as I prayed for my leader, Garth. And now I'm experimenting with this technique with my husband, with my daughter, with our colleagues and friends, just trying to completely be in the moment. And there's some kind of true love that will bubble up inside of me, deep inside, as I focus on them with my eyes wide open. I challenge you to try it. And in my imperfect way, the nurturing love of my Heavenly Father comes rushing through the words I speak. Even in my humanity, in my brokenness, I begin to receive, to give, and to experience love in a new, fresh way. So I'm making a simple ask of our church, not just during Advent, but every day of our lives, to make our serious primary aim for our lives just love. 
And here's a prayer that can help as we have this goal in mind. God, will you help me become a more loving person? Simple, right? You say it. God, will you help me become a more loving person? Not just the beauty of love or the Hallmark movie ending kind of love, but we have to roll up our sleeves, literally, and get to work on it because there's a role for us to play. We, of course, ask God for his help, but then he says there's something for us to do. So where do we start? I'm glad you asked me. Did I hear you ask me? Matthew 5 says this. Jesus said, love your enemies. Are you afraid now? (laughs) Another famous love statement in the Bible. Now, I want you to start with the most difficult, unlovable, hard-to-be-around, obnoxious person in your life. Just think the Grinch or the Scrooge before the transformation happens. You got that person in your mind? Don't look to the left or the right. And this sounds like a really great challenge for family Christmas dinner this year, but... I don't know. This is actually graduate level stuff. We probably shouldn't start with our enemies first. So we don't necessarily have to start there. Let's go to Jesus and John. Jesus was, John was called the beloved disciple. And he was so loved by Jesus that he writes about love more in the New Testament than any other author. And this was a foundational discovery that he said, we love because he first loved us. Think about this. We love because. It's amazing to think 2,000 years ago in an ancient world that we often can think about as stiff or cold, how many times Jesus said to his friend, I love you. Hey, John, you're my friend. Makes me happy to see you. I love you, John. And I often think, how did John respond, right? Did he look away? Did he get embarrassed? I mean, it's sometimes strange for us to sit and receive love. One of my favorite theologians, Dallas Willard, says this about love. We must understand that God does not love us without liking us. Out of eternal fondness of his perpetually self-renewed being, the Heavenly Father cherishes the earth and each human being upon it. The fondness, the endearment, the affectionate regard of God toward all his creatures is the natural outflow of what he is at the core, which we mainly try to capture with our tired but indispensable word, love. Now, the word tired and love are highlighted in this next story. Um, I have some memories, blurred memories, of the first few months of my daughter's birth. Um, I was a first-time mom. I was completely sleep-deprived. I had a jaundiced baby who didn't sleep for more than a few hours at a time, and that was mostly in the day. And I could tell she was strong-willed, even as an infant, and I'm not sure where she got that trait. (laughs) And there was lots and lots of crying, my friends. Lots of crying. (laughs) And no, she is not singing in this picture. She's screaming. I wish I had a video so you could experience that yourself. I have a few moments of clarity during the season. I mean, finally getting her to sleep, tiptoeing out of the room, and praying that she would just stay asleep. And then a funny thing would happen. I would walk out of the room exhausted and so grateful for quiet. And then a few minutes later, I would sneak back in just to see her beautiful little face sleeping so peacefully like an angel, overcome with an indescribable love for this tiny human being that totally exhausted me. (laughs) 
Um, For just a moment, think of our Heavenly Father looking down on us as his children. What I experienced in those moments of peering into the room of my sleeping beautiful girl, realizing a miracle that she was, how I got to be her mama, the thought came to me. I'm experiencing right now just an echo of what the one who made me experiences when he watches over you and me. Undeserved, unconditional, there is nothing we can do that will make him love us more. There is nothing. We are simply his kids. We go throughout the day remembering and thanking God for liking us, for loving us. There's no earning this kind of love. A pastor friend of mine, Jamie Austin, here in town, says this at the conclusion of every service. God loves you, and there's nothing you can do about it. God loves you, and there's nothing you can do about it. God's love is simply a gift every single day. And as we receive, the most excellent way is to aim at loving other people, right? Real simple, you don't need an education, you don't need money, you don't need a resume, you don't need a title. It doesn't matter. This possibility lies before each of us every day. This is the kingdom of God. This is the most excellent way of Jesus. People go through life with a list, a bucket list of things they want to do and places they want to go and ladders they want to climb. No, love is available here and now to all of us. We can love. No excuses. If you've ever been in a car on a long road trip with children in the back seat, you've probably heard this familiar phrase. Are we there yet? Are we there yet, mommy? And what do we say? No. Don't ask again. Enjoy the trip, right? In so much love and nurturing voice, right? Uh, <laughs> No, here's the deal. We are all on a journey together. This is not our final destination. We have not arrived, but we are striving to become the people God created us to be while on this adventure called life. And in this season, we call Christmas. Don't miss the best part of the trip because life goes by real fast. So I ask again, what is your purpose and why do you exist What spans from this life into the next? I've been cleaning out our playroom upstairs, and I found countless toys and fidgets and gadgets that are now forgotten and broken and hidden away in bins, nooks, and crannies, all presents from the past, mind you. And they're basically worthless piles of junk now that my daughter doesn't even remember opening on Christmas Day. So the other day we had this conversation, right, Bella? What did you get for Christmas last year? Silence. And the year before? And the year before? No recollection, my friends, of all the love, all the money and the time spent searching for the perfect present, right? But she does remember something. She remembers who was present. The love that was shared in that moment. She doesn't remember all the gifts, but she remembers the givers. She received love, and it's changing who she is becoming As a little girl, she remembers the love. Martin Luther says this about love and grace. Now we have received from God nothing but love and favor, for Christ has pledged and given us his righteousness and everything he has. He has poured out upon us all his treasures, which no person can measure, 
and no angel can understand or fathom, for God is a glowing furnace of love, reaching even from the earth to heaven. What a beautiful description of love by Luther. And as simple and profound as this concept is, it's still difficult for us to truly receive love and then genuinely give that kind of love to others. So I'm going to try to make this super simple this morning, very practical. For just a moment, I want you to think of one positive characteristic about yourself. And this will help you be grateful to God for his love for you. You have that in your mind? And then I want you to think of one positive characteristic about one other person. Just think about it for a moment. It could be their helpful attitude, their sense of humor, how smart they are. It could be anything. And then when you're with them, look them right in the eye. Notice their face, their body language. Listen to them and be completely present in the moment and ask God for a sense of gratitude and admiration, and then just express it to them in a real honest, simple way. You can also pray for them, eyes wide open. This is my new experiment. Focused on every word spoken, full of gratitude for their life. Love received, love given, with words and prayers of affirmation for each other. We live, my friends, in such a broken world. It's fragmented. And we often are advocating in the world, says self-promotion over servanthood, narcissism over humility. It says get ahead instead of helping others, hate instead of love. But we are the church and we have to be countercultural. We need to be more like Jesus. We have to push against the tide of apathy and learn to love our God, to love ourselves, and to love others well. Jesus wouldn't cancel anyone. He defended the prostitute. He invited himself to dinner with sinners. He didn't care. He healed people out of an overwhelming compassion for them. He never rushed through moments in this life. He cared for people really well around him. So let's be more like Jesus. Are we there yet? No. But we are all in the car and we're headed in the right direction Let's enjoy this ride together. So I want to end with this. I want you to imagine two people. One person, just an outrageous giver and receiver of love. She made people feel cared for and welcomed. She listened. And at work, people sought her out to celebrate when they won and to mourn when they're lost. They, they would get help when confused. At home, this woman was the real deal. When she was wrong. She wouldn't get defensive. She would just confess and apologize. And when she got hurt, she wouldn't hold a grudge. She had a real knack for serving and helping others. And when you, she would confront you, but real honestly, she would stay connected with you at the same time. I mean, other than that, she didn't have much of a life, never had much money, lived in a little place, had a short resume, wasn't famous at all. Just had deep, abiding, life-changing, other-focused, joy-producing, God-rooted, hope-giving, life-giving love. The other person? Thoroughly unloving. Well-known for being a jerk at work. Always looked out for number one. Reflexively self-promoting. Prided in getting even if anybody hurt her. Her spouses became exes. Her children embittered. Her colleagues felt betrayed. 
Her friends felt deceived. She was a selfish, arrogant, isolated, materialistic, narcissistic, egomaniac. But other than that, she had a great life. Which would you choose? The good news is Jesus has already given us the answer. This is an open book test. Even a fifth grader could get this one right. Choose love. Choose And John would say, and Peter would say, and Mary would say, this is the reason we are here. It's not about buildings and programs, or reciting the right beliefs, or Allison singing the right songs. That is not why we are here on this earth. The reason we are here, John says it this way, John Ortberg, one of my favorite theologians, And former boss, no one who succeeds in love fails at life. And no one who fails at love really succeeds in this life. Everything minus love equals nothing. And we could say it the other way. Love plus nothing equals everything. This is good news. This is the kingdom of God in our midst. It sets us apart as light on this earth. They will know we are Christians by our by our love. And this, my friends, is what Christmas is really all about. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. He gave us love and we receive that love. And now we get to give that love to others around us. Let's learn to live in the moment with people and share the love of Christ with those around us this Advent and beyond. Love isn't earned. Love is learned. So let's shock our friends and our families at Christmas parties and dinner celebration by giving freely what we have received undeservingly. Simply love. What matters, what remains in this life, what gives each of us the purpose and meaning, I hope is a little bit clearer this morning. As Paul concludes chapter 13 with these words, For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, and then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, our earthly perspective is sometimes skewed in this life. We get things wrong. We see things dimly, a blurry reflection, an echo of the perfection that is to come. So God, give us the grace, give us the love that you have made so clear to us. I pray that we learn to receive your unconditional, unmerited love. Teach us then to love those around us better. No strings attached, just pure, abiding, life-changing, joy-producing love. Thank you for the gift that changed this world forever. This act of love, God, is now our foundation. It is our hope. It is the solution to the divisions and the strife and the anger that we see in this world. We choose the better way today, God. We choose the better way, the Jesus way. God, help us to live truly in the love of Christ as we go from this place this morning. We ask these things in your precious name. Amen.
Once again, thank you for listening to the Redeemer Church Podcast. To stay connected to all that God is doing here at Redeemer, visit our website at RedeemerTulsa.org or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a blessed week.